I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and this is one of those, one of those passages that, um, man, I, I love this story. There's, there's stories in the Bible, and, you know, sometimes it's a, a little bit, you know, that's a neat story, but this is one of those that, um, in, in my Bible, I have a wide margin Bible, and I have so many notes on, on this passage, because uh, it's so full of truths for us for our life. And so this morning, I'm hoping that we can get through this passage and uh, see some things that will help us this morning. Because, like I said, my challenge for you this morning is to have faith. To have faith. I mean, believe that God is who he says he is. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe things. Uh, Before we get married, we have an idea that uh, we're going to be a good husband or a good wife. We've studied, we've, we've watched our mom, we've watched our dad, we've seen people around us and we're like, man, I'm going to be a great husband. I'm going to be a great wife when I get married. But we don't think about the events of, you know, having, um, having dreams and um, in those dreams, fighting off bad guys. And in that fight, in that dream, that karate, that karate kick that you've always been practicing, thinking through in your mind that if I ever had to attack somebody, it would be with this karate kick. And you do that karate kick in your dream. And then in your consciousness, you hear this whimper of somebody laying next to you, and you realize that you just karate chopped your wife. And you think, I am not a good husband. You're married for a while, and people tell you, man, have have kids. It'll be fun. Have kids. And you think, boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good dad. I'm going to be a great dad. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be one of those dads that people are going to look at and go, man, I want to be a dad like that. And I remember my, my kids, we had at one of the church we were at, and I've told this story before, but um, we were, Ben was standing on a stage similar to this. And sometimes just in dad's minds, we have a disconnect. Something unplugs very quickly, and we're not sure why that happens, but it does. And Ben was standing, and he was probably three or four. He was standing on the stage, and he jumped. And I told him, I said, jump to me. And so he, he trusts me, and he jumped. And just at that time, somebody had drawn my attention away, and I looked away, and he landed face first right in front of me. And he just looked up at me like, what were you thinking? What, what? And at those moments, you realize, I am not a good dad. I'm probably the worst dad ever. I remember going shopping one time and with Juliana. She's our, our firstborn. And, uh, you know, with that firstborn, you know, you can't, nothing falls on the floor and you pick it up and give it back to him. The third or fourth child, it doesn't matter. I mean, you have like a 30-second rule. As long as it didn't land in a mud puddle, we're putting it back in. Uh, you can have it back, uh, eat it. I don't, we didn't even bring that food with us, but if you found it, it's, it's, it's game. Um, you know, so there's a difference between that first child and that fourth, third or fourth child. And uh, I remember Juliana, our first one, and we were, we were, um, we were shopping. Rebecca and I were, were out shopping, and we had her. And, um, you know, there's certain things that as a parent you just you don't ever want to experience. You don't ever want to go through. And, you know, as a wanting to believe that you're going to be a good parent, you don't anticipate that things are going to happen. Jul- uh, Rebecca and I are shopping, and we're in a, in a department store where there are the high racks of clothes. And all of a sudden, where's Juliana? And I asked Rebecca, I'm like, 
hey, where's, where's, where's Juliana? And she looks around, she goes, I don't know. And that panic that hits you when your child is gone, with the first child. With the third or fourth child, you're like, they'll show up. I mean, they will come back. I mean, I know them. If somebody took them, they will bring them back shortly. They, they do not want that, that kid. So, uh, so th- that panic of, of, my kid is gone. I don't know where my kid is. And so we start, you know, the, the, the uh, detective in me begins, and so I st- do my, my cross patterns across the, the store, and, and as I fan out and get further and further and further and further, and finally I'm standing, we were at JCPenney's, and I'm standing at the entrance of the mall, and I'm going, I can't find her anywhere. And Rebecca and I, we meet back together, and it's this panic of we have no idea. And I'm like, let's just go back to where we were, and let's start there again. So we get back to where we, where we were, and I said, all right, now, where could she have gone? And at that moment, I hear this little singing voice. I'm like, shh, where is that? We start going around, and inside a circular clothes rack, Juliana had gotten up in there and climbed in the center, and she was just sitting there singing and playing with something and having a good time. I'm like, oh, I'm glad nobody killed you, so I can. And it's at those times that you realize that that belief that you are going to be a good father, it's gone. And so you have to work so much harder to become a good father or, and to build your faith that you're going to be a good father. And sometimes in our life, as a Christian, we believe that we have faith. If I were to ask you this morning, do you have faith? Do you believe God my guess would be that every one of us would raise our hand and say, yes, I believe, I, I, I have faith, I, be, I believe God. But it's when the trial of our faith comes and our faith is tested, do we truly find out what our faith actually is? Because it's in these times that God comes in and he says, okay, you have faith? Let's see. So in John chapter number 11, let's look at this, and we're going to read a few verses here uh, just to get the story going. In John chapter 11, verse number 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So here's, here's, here's the setup. We know of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha were those people that when Jesus came into town, Martha was the one that was busy about the house, getting stuff ready. Mary was the one that's like, forget all that stuff. I'm going to sit at Jesus' feet. I mean, Jesus is here. I mean, imagine if Jesus came to your house today. It wouldn't be, hey, let's, let's get stuff ready. Let's clean the house a little bit. It's, I don't care. Jesus is here. Let's just sit down. Let's talk to Jesus. He's only going to be here for a short time. And Mary is the one who totally locked into Jesus. And Martha was the one that God said, Martha, don't be so cumbered about with all the stuff. I'm only here for a short time. Pay attention to me. And it's that Mary and Martha that we're talking about. And Lazarus, the brother, is the one who is sick. Verse 3, Therefore his sister sent unto him Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. This is that name dropping. This is that, that 
uh, you ever meet somebody that's a common friend and you're like, oh yeah, my buddy so-and-so, he knows you too. Oh, that's the connection. Jesus here uh, is getting a message and it's, hey, Lazarus, yeah, you do know Lazarus. You know the, that guy that you said that you loved? Yeah, that, that guy. He's the one that's sick. So we're asking you, we're, we're just letting you know because we know on the backside that you could do something about this. So we're letting you know that that guy, that Lazarus that you love, the one that, the one that you, know, you said that you're, man, you're, you have a great fondness for, the one that you said that you love, that's the guy that's sick. And so we want you to know that that guy is sick and we're sending word to you specifically so you know that Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. Just in case you want to know Jesus. Just in case there was something you could do about it. So in verse number four, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Mary and Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now, Jesus sometimes does this. God does this sometimes. Is it... Do you, ever believe, do you truly believe, we're talking about faith today, do you truly believe that God can do anything? Like, do you believe that? Then why is it that when we really need something, we doubt He can do it? Like, God, I need you to come through, but I'm not sure you're going to, so I'm going to kind of, I'm going to say the prayer but I'm not actually going to believe it. I'm going to, I'm going to function in such a way that you don't, actually, you don't actually need to come through because I'm, going to, I'm just going to work it out anyway. We live like this. And sometimes God does this. He goes, okay. He says, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to wait. I hate waiting. Do you enjoy waiting at the grocery store? Like you get in line and it's all of a sudden you're ready to put your stuff on the conveyor belt and the light comes on and it's like, oh, that guy. You go to the self-checkout and all of the lights are blinking and you're like, oh. You're in the toll booth line and the person up there is asking directions to Timbuktu. Like what is going on? Waiting. We don't like to wait. We hate waiting. But God sometimes makes us wait. Why? Mary and Martha knew that Jesus could heal Lazarus' illness. But Jesus did not want to heal a sick man. That wasn't his plan. Jesus was going to reveal something to Mary and Martha that they did not know about him. When God waits... Get ready because he is going to reveal something about his character that you don't already know. God, would you just heal this cancer? God, would you just raise my brother up? God, would you, because I believe, God, that you can heal him. And God says, hang on a minute. I'm going to show you something about me that you don't know. I'm going to put you in a tighter circumstance in order to show you part of my character that you have not already experienced. And we've talked about this before, where you go and you visit somebody who has had a loved one, a husband, a wife, 
a father or mother that has passed away, and you go to encourage that person. And when you go to encourage them, you walk away encouraged because you think, man, I don't know how they're going to make it. And they have a joy and a grace and a blessing that they did not have before because they went through a circumstance that they did not know that they needed God in a certain way. And so when they went through that circumstance, all of a sudden God showed up in a new way that revealed a new character of him that they were able to say, I now know more about God. And as a result of that, I have received more of God's grace. I have received more of God's character. And I can function in a different fashion now. And I can be joy to those who think that I need joy. Jesus here was going to clarify, verse number four, that this was going to be about God's glory. The problems and situations and difficulties that come into our life are not about us. They are about God's glory. We just want God to take away the problem. God's trying to show us him. We don't want the problems to go away. If God's going to reveal himself to us, boy, I want the problems to come on. Show me more of you, God. Let me see more of you. But so many times we are in this difficulty of saying we want to see more of God, but I don't want any more problems. I don't want any more difficulties. But it's through the problems, through the difficulties that God shows up. You read through the Bible and that's all you see is that God shows up through the problem. God shows up through the difficulty. God shows up when there's no way God provides a way. In order for our faith to be strengthened, sometimes things have to go from bad to worse. We just want God to fix it now so it doesn't get worse. And God says, I need to let it get a little more difficult for you. And we're going to skip a couple of verses. In verse number 28, I want you to look at something. Because last time... When Jesus came, Mary was the one who was so excited about seeing Jesus. She could not wait to spend time with him. This time, it isn't Mary that runs out to Jesus, it's Martha. And so many times in our life, we, are, we become like Mary's. You know what? I'm excited to be in church today. Talking to the people that are sitting behind me this morning, they're like, man, church Sunday is the best day of the week. And we ought to think about that. We ought to think about Sunday as that way. Like, I cannot wait to get to church because I get to see all of you. I can't wait to hear what God is doing in your life. Church, Sunday is awesome. As long as everything in my life is going okay. But when I find out I have a brain tumor, eh, that's not... I'm not running to Jesus now. I know God is there, and I'm just going to sit. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm going to see him, but I'm not excited about it. I know problems and difficulties come. I know there's situations in my life. Man, if, if everything was perfect, man, I would run to see Jesus. But now, it, it's, now there, there's, there's all these things and I focus on the things, the problems that are wrong rather than on running to see Jesus. And if you look at verse number uh, 28, 
This is Martha. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, Mary, the master is come and calls for you. I want you to know this morning that when you don't want to see Jesus, he's looking for you. When you have problems and difficulties in your life, when you find out you have a brain tumor, when you find out you have cancer, when you find out that you have to have surgery to have cancer removed, when you find out that your husband or wife passed away, when you find out and you're saying, God, man, I don't even know. I want to encourage you this morning that God's looking for you. He's not running from you. He wants you to know that he is calling for you. He loves you. And he wants you to be part of this story. And so here he calls for Mary. And Mary comes and she talks to Jesus. But it's interesting because Mary and Martha, it's very obvious that through the story that Mary and Martha had been talking. This wasn't something that they, they kept their feelings in. They didn't, they didn't really have communication. or anything. They had been talking, and you can see it in verse number 21. And we're going to look at another verse here, verse 21. It says, Then said Mary, or Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And then look at verse 32, because Mary says something that's very similar. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But here's what God does sometimes. I mean, we, if, if we're honest, we have a will about what we want to see God do. When you have cancer, you want to see God take away the cancer. Would you agree with that this morning? Would you say that when you have a problem, you pray towards a certain end that God would heal, God would take away, God would <laughs> fix that problem? Would you agree with that this morning? But sometimes God wants to trade the miracle you're praying for for the miracle you need. And that's when it gets difficult. Because when God takes away the miracle that you're praying for and holds out a little bit longer for the miracle you need, it causes us to begin to doubt God's words. If you remember at the beginning, it says that Lazarus, whom thou lovest, Mary and Martha were asking Jesus to come because they knew that Jesus could heal Lazarus. They didn't think about him raising him from the dead. And so they prayed and they said, Jesus, if you come, they requested, if Jesus, if you come, you can heal him. And Jesus held off and he said, Mary and Martha, he didn't tell them this. He said, I'm not going to give you what you're asking for because I know what you need. In your life, the problems that you're going through, the situations that are happening in your life, the, the difficulties that you look, look at and you say, God, if you would just fix this, I, I've got it laid out. 
Like, God, I know that if you were just, if you would just function in this way, I know that it would all work to, to, to the best end. And God says, it's not about you. It's for my glory. Remember verse number four. It's for my glory. And I'm not going to give you that which you are asking for. I'm going to give you what you need. In verse number 22, after Martha said this to Jesus, she uses a word that as soon as I read this word, I thought of another story. Verse number 22, she said, let me read verse 21 first. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But, but, I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. As soon as I read that but, I thought of another story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three Hebrew children, they stood up to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, if you guys don't bow down, you're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. And they said, so be it. He said, heat it seven times hotter. They heated it up. He said, you bow down. He said, nope, king, we will not bow down because our God can deliver us. But if he doesn't, we know he could have. Martha here is in this quandary of, I have the facts that I know you could have healed him and he's dead, but I also know that you can do and you can get whatever it is that you need from your heavenly father. So I have the facts that you're, and, and look, look at this, look at this, verse number 39. And this, this just shows us that Martha is fighting with this truth. Because she says, I know that you can. I know that you could have healed him. I know that you could have helped him. But he's dead. But I know also that if you ask something of God, that he'll give it to you. But look at verse number 39. She's still fighting with this through this whole story. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the one who in verse number 21 and 22 said, I know that whatever you ask can happen. Jesus said, take away the stone. Verse 20, 39 Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus, what are you doing? He's been, you, he's been dead for four days. Why are you taking away the stone? He just stinks. Do you want to see his body? We know he's in there. She's still fighting with the faith that is in her and the fact, the reality that she's dealing with. Do you ever have struggle dealing with the facts that you're seeing today and the faith that God can change anything. But I want you to see something else in verse number 22. It says, but I know that even now, what's after now? A comma. A comma. Even now, comma. Sometimes we put a period where God puts a comma. In your life, 
Oftentimes, you see the death of something as a period in your life. And God says, why did you put a period there? Because I'm just putting that as a comma, and I'm going to do something miraculous in your life, but you're going to give up before the miraculous can come. Don't put a period in your life where God is putting a comma. Don't say this is the end of something when God's saying this is just the beginning of something. We struggle so much with this faith and fact in our life. Verse number 25 and 26. Martha and Mary were hoping and they were holding out for the impossible. Verse 25 and 26. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. This question, believest thou this? Martha, do you believe it? Like, do you really, really believe it? Or is this just something that you have the facts to say that I understand, but I don't have the heart to say I believe? And in our lives, so many times we face problems and difficulties, situations where we have the facts, but we don't have the heart to say we believe. And Jesus asked her this question, do you believe it? But it is really hard to believe God when you're in a hopeless situation. When things aren't going the way that you want them to go. When problems are overwhelming you, it's difficult to believe God. But notice what she says. All of these facts. He's dead four days. Jesus is late. He didn't show up. He didn't provide the miracle she wanted. He didn't give her the answer that she wanted. But what does she say in verse number 26? I'm sorry. Verse number 27. And she said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe. I believe. I believe. The response that she gave was the setup, was the key to this miracle. I don't know that Jesus wouldn't have done it if she would have said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I believe it. But we see that she does say that she believes it. And so the question this morning is this. What miracle in your life? What thing in your life are you praying for that God does? Is there a big thing going on in your life that you're saying, God, I just need you to come through. I need you to come through. I need you to come through. And God hasn't come through on that thing yet. And you're beginning to doubt that God truly means what he says. Maybe there's something that you are trying to keep alive that God's trying to kill. Maybe there's a relationship that you have in your life that you're trying to keep alive and trying to keep alive. And God's saying, if you would just let that thing die. I'll bring maybe, uh, single people in the room. You're trying to hold on to that relationship. And God's saying, if you would just let that relationship die, I will bring something into your life that will resurrect your life. Maybe there's a job that you're holding on to. You say, man, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. If, if, I don't, if I don't have this job, I don't know what I'm going to do. And God's saying, if you let that job die, I will bring something into your life that will bring a resurrection to your life and something that you've never seen about me and a way to provide for you that you've never seen. But we're holding on to something that God is trying to kill in our life. 
And the question this morning is, do you believe? Do you believe? A few years ago, I went through a difficult time. Just mentally, emotionally went through a difficult time. And I would go to a coffee shop every single day. And in that coffee shop, there was a guy that would come in that would irritate the fire out of me. And I don't know why I never met him. I never talked to him. But he would walk in the other side of the restaurant, and I had my table that I would go to. It was on the far side of the restaurant. It was quiet. I wanted God to do something in my life. Like, I'm like, God, I need you to do something in my life. Like, I am struggling here. Like, I wasn't struggling with salvation, with God. It wasn't any of that. It was just functioning, just life function. And I'm saying, God, I need you. And I found this place that was a respite for me. And I would go to and I would just study his word and read for hours on end. And this guy would come walking in. And the best way I can describe this guy, it was Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> he had the little goatee. He had the, the crazy hair. And he even had the walk. You know, the, how, his, how Shaggy's arms just swayed in a weird way. And he had this backpack. And I do not know why, but from the first time I saw him come in, this guy irritated me. And I don't know if you've, maybe it's just me, and maybe it was just this time in my life, but it was just one of those things where he, he never said anything to me, but he would come in and he would create such a ruckus when he came into the place that, I mean, people were moving out of his way for him. He, was, he had to get to a table and all of this stuff. And he would come in, and he would unload. And I'm like, come on, man. I am begging God over here to do something in my life, and you are messing it up. Because I can't focus on God when you're walking in this room. So day after day and week after week, I'm sitting over on the far side of the restaurant. He comes in and sits on this side of the restaurant. And one day I walk in, and I... Just walk to my table naturally. You all have that, that table that you go to in that restaurant. And I walked in to go to that table, and I just about got to the table, and I realized that somebody was sitting in my seat. I just about asked him to move, but being a public space, I didn't feel I should do that. And so I looked around, and there was two tables in this, in this whole coffee shop that were open. They were side by side, right by the window. So I made my way into the one table, and you know how you spread your stuff out, making people think that there might be somebody sitting at that table so they won't come and sit beside you? I did that. Um, and I just needed my space for God to do something in my life. And I'm reading my Bible, and I have my journal, and in walks Shaggy. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Lord, you are cruel. Because I know that the only space available is right next to me. And he's looking around, and I'm spreading my stuff a little bit further. <laughs> and he sees the open table. And he comes walking in, and he's got his backpack, and he's shuffling it in, bumping me. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I do not have time for this today. I am begging you to do something in my life. And he sits down, he 
gets out his backpack and he's humming his little song and he's unloading this backpack. And I'm like, how do you have that much stuff in a bag? I mean, he just got piles of stuff on his table now. And I'm trying to focus, but being nosy, I'm looking at what he's doing. And he's organizing all of his stuff and then he stops and he takes a stack of three by five cards, takes the rubber band off them and I look over and he's memorizing Bible verses. I'm like, God, what are you saying to me? And he's doing that for a while. Then he opens up his Bible and he's, he's writing, he's studying. And he's, I'm like, I get it. All this time, I've been coming to this restaurant and asking you to do something. And months ago, you started with this guy. And today, I realize. I wanted you to, I was praying for something, for you to do something in my life. And God, you were sending somebody into my life. You see, so many times we pray for something, and God says, I know you think you know what you need, but I really have the best intention for you. And I want you to see something new about me. And that day, God taught me something great about him. God taught me something about people. That young man has no idea that he crossed my path and changed my life. But that day changed everything. That day for Mary and Martha, it changed everything. Because God said one, one question, do you believe?